that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Nathan and Stephen just talked to defensive linemen. I didn't. I, I missed it. So I get to – I was going to say question them, and Nathan instead chose to use the word interrogate. Question is something that, like, might happen on a news show that, like, hey – I'm a host. I have interesting guests. I try to elicit interesting discussion by questioning you. Interrogate makes it feel like I'm going to hit you guys with the phone book if I don't like the answers. Which do you feel like it's more, Nathan? Which is, is interrogate really the word you want to use? Probably something short of interrogation, more like cross-examination. I think we've been trying to incorporate that more into the, the show over the last couple months. Yeah. You remember the, the brief reign of Chancellor Baird. Of Chancellor Barrett. And I, uh, yeah, I could be an old Southern lawyer. Uh, 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 you guys no. are. I'm, I'm nipping that in the bud right now. No Just, more. No more foghorn. No, foghorn leghorn thing. Foghorn. <laughs> yeah, you got you to stop it. Okay. Okay. So we'll just talk about football then like normal people. Is that probably yeah. what the listeners What a concept. Are? Yeah. <laughs> Buckeye talk. Talk about football like normal people. Wrong podcast. All yeah. right, so so it sounds like you guys you guys got Larry Johnson for a long time. You got a bunch of other defensive linemen. Uh, Steven has a story he's working on that I want to ask him about specifically, but I'll let you guys start it off and, yeah, maybe even let you like lead the conversation. Steven, what did you think was the most interesting thing you learned from Ohio State defensive linemen during the interviews on Wednesday? Yeah, I, I think the depth, obviously, as we know, is has flipped. Last year, there was a lot of depth on the interior at that three-tech and that nose guard position. And this year, all that depth is on the outside with Chase Young gone. But everybody else not named Chase Young is back, including Jonathan Cooper, who's back for a fifth year. And so there's a lot of options of what Larry Johnson can do there. Um, Javante Jean-Paptiste continues to throw weight on in a way that very few can. He's gone from looking like a stick to – he looks like a defensive end now, at least over the Zoom call and you look at his shoulders – Tyler Friday talked about how he could swing inside as a three tech and also be a defensive end as well. I think we, we learned a lot. There's a lot of things that can happen because you have so many guys on that outside who can do a variety of different things. Nathan, I was just getting the texts that you were sending out during interviews. 614-350-3315. I was a consumer today. It was interesting to be a consumer because I wasn't on the call. There was some stuff in there that was sounded concerning about your guy, a guy that Many people have been high on all offseason, but you have mentioned more than a few times, and it sounds like Teron Vincent still has a little ways to go. Yeah, I mean, early on in the offseason, I brought up defensive line depth, interior defensive line depth as, as potentially being an issue for this team or one something that needed to be answered. And then now we find out that obviously the Haskell Garrett situation, he is back participating in practice, but not all the way back. And then Teron Vincent, as you mentioned, uh, the term that Larry Johnson used today was slow progress. So he's, he's, he's out there. He is practicing. We were told he was at practice or at least some portion of the practice that we saw on Saturday, but we did not see him. He was not present during the half hour. He was not out there on the field with the team during that half hour. And I know there's been some confusion as to who was and wasn't there um, from what we saw with our own eyes, but like myself and other, many num- now multiple other people who were reporting on the team who were watching the defense did not see him there on Saturday. So I'm, confident he was not there during our part so I think defensive interior defensive line depth right now is a big question for this team is it a crisis 
No, but that was the thing that I took away the most today is how are they going to make up for that? Are they going to take Antoine Jackson? And they talked about his versatility. He could play both three technique and the, the nose guard spot. It is, does he now kind of become the top of the depth chart, at least for the season opener, if, if Vincent and Garrett aren't able to play at all? And I would assume that Garrett wouldn't quite be back to um, game uh, participation by then, um, at the very least, if not Vincent also. Or these guys that they're talking about farther down on the depth chart, do they come up? Tyler Friday mentioned, like as Steven said, like he basically came out and said, like, yeah, we're working on some stuff where I'll slide inside and play some three-tech. But I think that's an important spot, and, and regardless of how important that spot is to itself, I, I just the, – the quality of the depth there that you need to win right away in, in the in Big Ten games, I don't know if it's enough to make it um, them, you know, wary of an upset against Nebraska, but I think it's it's – Not against Nebraska. Nebraska – It's an opponent where that's an issue because uh, it, what Adrian issue? Martinez – it's what Adrian Martinez can Out. do running the ball, what they have some other guys. To get, that's fine. I, I love my plus 29 against we're, you. Against we're Nebraska. Especially if, especially if we're talking about the, the, a really thin interior d- defense for that game. So Tyler Shoemaker, loyal listener, loyal tech subscriber, wants to become the odds maker for Buckeye Talk. And he is. He is now the official odds maker for Buckeye Talk. He has a system. He sent it to us a few times. It's been my fault that we haven't used it better. We had a podcast on Wednesday where we started off by saying, what do you think the betting lines are? And our answer was like, we don't know. We aren't gamblers. And Tyler Shoemaker was like, here are the lines. (laughs) According to my system that Tyler Shoemaker has implemented, then we're going to start using that. He said Nebraska – Minus 23, according to his system plus right now. Right. Nebraska plus 23, Ohio State minus 23. So that that made you, Nathan, very excited about my offer of you getting 29 with Nebraska. Tyler Shoemaker's actual knowledge on the subject made you want to take that 29, right? Oh, I was – I love the 29 29- – when we finished the pod last night before anybody else got involved. So. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send this out to tech subscribers this week. We are going to bet that. I'm going to give you 29 points, and we are going to ask tech subscribers for ideas on what we should bet. And, like, we can, you know, it can be, like, shaving body hair. I mean, it can be, like, running naked through something. It could be money. No, it can't. It could be. I mean, I'll <laughs> run naked anyway. Money. It can't. It can't. I'll I think run... there will not be nudity involved. No, no, I don't no. Want... Yeah, yeah. We've already, yeah, no more naked stories. Here's my thought on nudity. In the past, I've always said I would much rather take off my pants than take off my shirt because I feel like up top, that's your responsibility. Down below, that's what God gave you. So up top, you know, it's like I'm a little flabby. I kind of got the old man body, but like I'm in better shape than I've been. So I'm okay taking my shirt off. I'll take my shirt off now. But anyway, down below, what are you going to do? What, like someone's going to make fun of you? It's not your fault. No, I mean, you can't exercise it. It's called indecent exposure. No, 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 that's not a thing. No, no. Oh, I, yeah, I, you're right. Like, I forgot. We don't, we don't have laws on here. We also talk about murder. Never mind. You're right. It's like streaking. It's like Will Ferrell streak. So, so I, and Nathan, you said, you said you're down. What are you down? You said you're down 25 since COVID? Yeah, about that. Yeah. All right. So that, my point is, I don't think either of us should have any issue with making a naked bet. That's all I'm saying. I think it's completely normal to bet nudity so we'll get that idea and better ideas from tech subscribers on it there have to be better ideas so but i want to before we talk about nudity a little bit more i want to start i want to talk about football okay so let's start with the tackles because the ends are sexier and i already warned steven that he has a story idea he's working on and i'm going to push him on it because i want him to zero in on this story because i think it's important i think it's interesting but i think i might disagree with parts of it but i think we're going to have a good defensive end discussion but let's talk about tackle first looking at our scholarship chart google cleveland.com ohio state football scholarship chart 
if we assume that Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent are at the very best question marks for the start of the season, from the information you guys gathered today, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then who are your starting tackles? For the well, start Tommy the- Togiai. Tommy yeah. Togiai starts at nose. Antoine Jackson. And, Antoine and I think Jackson. Antoine Jackson starts at three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here are your other options on the, on the scholarship chart, the other tackles. Jaron Cage, who has, has not done anything so far in his career. He is a redshirt junior, has just never really done anything. And then it's Cormonte Hamilton and Jaden McKenzie as redshirt freshmen. And that's it. Cormonte Hamilton, one year into his defensive tackle career. Who was not even that. In, not right? even that. So not Six even months into it. So, so if you aren't moving ends inside, and if you're not sure when Garrett and Vincent can play, you only have five other tackles on the roster. Jackson, Togiai, Cage, Cormonte Hamilton, Jaden McKenzie. That's not a lot. I mean, it's one of those things where you have two injuries at a position, okay, then all of a sudden two injuries at a position with seven guys can make a big deal. What feels like the answer? What feels like the answer? Who will be, what will be the tackle depth chart and not what they list, but what they actually play against Nebraska? Is it going to be from four of those five guys we just mentioned? Or do you think that actually like one of these ends is going to be a legitimate tackle rotation guy? In week one, Nathan. I don't. I don't know that they're going to list it on the depth chart. This I don't way, care but, about that. Who cares okay. about? They, then, they lie. They don't well, but that is how you. That is how you started no, the said, question. I said don't. I said not what's on the depth chart. What okay. plays? What plays? Okay. Um, I, I last season you remember for the season opener, even as much depth as they had at defensive end, it got hit to start the year. They didn't have uh, I, uh, Smith. And Cooper, I think, were both out to start the year. I think Friday was around, but he also had some injury issues. But so uh, Jay Sean Cornell moved outside and played defensive end for the season over against Florida Atlantic. So I would assume that, that you could see a very similar situation. They have so much depth at defensive end. They're missing these guys on the interior. I could see Friday moving in and getting more in the rotation. Larry Johnson talked about it today when, when he was asked about that. was like, well, sure, when we get to third down, that's going to happen sometimes. I would expect it to happen more often than just on third down rush situations. I think somebody else is going to have to pull in because I, at least until we see it with our eyes, that these other guys can handle it. Now, someone, now Ty Hamilton is someone else that they've really talked up, the, the impact he's made so far as a freshman coming out and really impressing people. Uh, are they going to put a true freshman in the rotation up front uh, so that he's like the second guy getting snaps at defensive tackle? I, I would be hesitant to expect that. So I, I could definitely see someone like Friday moving inside more often than you would expect at least early on in the season. I have Ty, we have Ty Hamilton listed as an end on our scholarship chart. Is he more of an end or a tackle right now, the true freshman? Just today they finally mentioned him as, as more of a, a guy that they're trying to get to make a three technique. Okay, so then that would, that's another name inside then. So it's, that's not, and that's to make sure we don't confuse Cormonte Hamilton and Ty Hamilton. Ty Hamilton is the true freshman, younger brother of Devon Hamilton. Correct. Cormonte Hamilton is a redshirt freshman who came here as a tight end. Steven, how do you, th- do you think that's it? That's it, that it's somebody from end moving in there? Yeah, that was going to be my exact point. What happened with Jay Sean Cornell last year. I think Tyler Friday is going to end up being the defensive tackle. And he tried to you know, tease it 
but he just did a very t- terrible job of teasing it. They also mentioned J- Jaden McKenzie, a three-star guy who's really made some strides over the last year. Um, he was working with Larry Johnson a lot last summer when I was up there watching some camps and stuff. He would be with Larry Johnson and BB a lot, so he's made some strides so he could enter the rotation. But I think what it's going to come down to is Tyler Friday's going to move inside. I mean, to me, the question is, like, how much would people have been talking about Jaden McKenzie today if yeah. Vincent and G- Garrett were both completely healthy? Like, would those names be really coming up? I don't know. Probably not. No, because they'd be like, because you're a freshman and you'd be like the seventh dude. But now all of a sudden you might be the fourth or fifth dude. Okay, so the four players on the roster who will get the most snaps at tackle in the Penn State game in week two are, Stephen, you go first. The four who will get the most snaps at defensive tackle in week two. Togi, Antoine Jackson, Tyler Friday. Whew. And then, like, maybe Vincent or Garrett would be back. That's part yeah, of it. Oh, yeah, hope, hope, cool. I don't know. I, I, I would think just – I would think maybe get, surprisingly Garrett might be back faster than Teron Vincent just because of how Larry Johnson talked about Teron Vincent's injury and how COVID and not being able to be on this campus, in con- contrary to Master Teague's situation, set him back. So I would bank on maybe Haskell Garrett is back at that point. All right, Togiai, Antoine Jackson, Tyler Friday, Haskell Garrett. Nathan, who are your four against Penn State? I would say Togiai, Jackson, uh, either Garrett or Vincent. And then I would, as far as like just sheer number, because you're talking about early down work, I guess I would maybe put someone like Jerron Cage in my four before I put Friday in there as far as like getting just that number of reps. But I, I think Friday will be – I would just suspect Friday might be more involved than just third down rush situations. Was Cage – how much did Cage come up? With, with a little Coach? bit. Not much. But he was mentioned a little bit by Larry Johnson? He, I mean, he was just mentioned by the fact that it's depth that they have, but it wasn't – he didn't go out of his he, way to mention I think he, he said something along the lines of – I may mean, have to go back and find it, but That's something okay. along the lines of Cage and McKenzie were both playing well. Okay. But, again, I, I just – I don't know how much those names are coming up if, if Vincent and Garrett are out there getting the full reps that you would expect them to be getting at this stage of their careers. Yeah, not at all. They wouldn't be coming up at all. Yeah. What yeah. – what, so if these, okay, so we, you just made your predictions. Steven, then if your prediction is right for the Penn State game, how would you describe your feelings about Ohio State's defensive tackles if they end up playing the guys you just said they're going to play? I think the nose ta- guard is fine. I don't have a problem with you know, what, what Togi brings to the table. I, I think you're, but you're asking the starters to play a lot of snaps. And I think, I, and, in the interior, that's a hard thing to ask somebody to do. It's it's maybe it's easier to make you know one great, really good defensive and just play a lot of snaps because he's a pass rusher and that's what he's doing. But for a guy who has to take on double teams and is constantly being hit, constantly being hit, that's a hard thing. And then fatigue becomes an issue, which isn't an issue outside. So, I, I if it's a four quarter game against Penn State, I get worried about their ability to you know, get in the run game. Nathan, how would you feel about your prediction? I mean, my, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've had these concerns for a while, and I think I have – I would dispute a little bit that I'm not concerned about nose too because once you take – you know, if, if Jackson was presumably going to be your backup nose and now you've got him as the guy coming in behind Togiai and you have Garrett and Vincent handling the three technique, that's four guys that you I think are pretty confident in at this stage of their careers can, can lock down. Well, now if Jackson has to spend all of his time over at, at three, who's coming in behind Togiai? It just – it gets so thin there so fast. Like I said, I don't know if it's enough to cost them a game against Nebraska. Maybe not even against Penn State. Maybe maybe the, the, the talent disparity is that big. And maybe um, 
Larry Johnson's playing a little coy and, and Teron Vincent will be back. I don't know, but I'm just saying it, it's, it's, a, it's a position that I've tried to argue should be uh, on the list of concerns for this team. And, um, I've gotten poo-pooed, I think, at times about it. And I, I think it's legitimate. I think they have to, to solve that problem. Okay, so the, the most interesting guy then to me in this whole thing, and he rises, I would say, to maybe the very top of the list of anybody on the roster when you're talking about late career senior season breakouts is Antoine Jackson. This yeah. is a guy who was the number 51 overall player in the class of 2016. Big time, huge recruit. Huge recruit, went to Auburn, left, went to junior college, came to Ohio State in its 2018 class as a junior college transfer, was the number one junior college player in the country when he got here. Big deal. Not much. Not much so far. But all of a sudden, every answer about defensive tackle starts off with like, well, of course, Antoine Jackson's going to play a lot because as things are shaking out, like that dude has got to play a lot. He was one of the guys you talked to today, right? Yep. Steven, mm-hmm. we'll start with you. What's your vibe on Antoine Jackson? And does this feel like a senior season breakout ready to happen? Yeah, I, it, it has to be. And I think just the vibe he gave off is, is he knows that as well because right now they need it to be. They don't, there's no depth there, and so he has to play. And so, yeah, it does feel like a senior season, season breakout, but not necessarily because – Oh man, yeah. There's another four-star guy who's just been play- who just hasn't been playing. It's because we need you to have a breakout senior season, or we might be in trouble in the interior. You know, one vibe I got from him, and he's someone that I obviously didn't have as much familiarity with because he, like you said, he wasn't a huge factor last year. I don't remember if we even got him for an interview uh, opportunity at all last season. Um, but there's there's a little bit of swagger to him, and I mean that in a good way. Like I didn't feel like sometimes these guys, and, and it depends personality to personality. But sometimes when these guys are get thrown up in front of us for the first time, even on the Zoom calls, you there's some hesitance there. Some some you just you catch who is like who seems to be like ready to go, and who's still kind of feeling their way. And I I don't know. He just he had. Um, I thought he answered things well. It, it, sound, it felt like he was very comfortable knowing what might be ahead of him as far as like how much he's going to get to play, the opportunity that's going to be in front of him. I like the way he talked about things. He was talking about like, well, the one teak has to be that, that he-man like Devontae was last year. And just like that kind of presence of like knowing what the two differences, the differences are between those positions, but that he might be asked to do both and that he actually thinks it, it makes sense to, to, to use him at both. And he gave reasons for that. So um, I, he's someone that I think, can handle that job it's just again more about what the depth is at that position where they like to have a lot of depth where teams typically feel like they need to have a lot of depth feels like maybe a Jay Sean Cornell season kind of coming I I was very big last year in the preseason about like Jay Sean Cornell as a breakout guy and Antoine Jackson is similar in that they were both big time recruits who it took quite a while I mean you think about that Antoine Jackson was in the class of 2016 and here we are in 2020 and and this is his moment. And then Jay Sean Cornell did it. Jay Sean Cornell had a really good year. Jay Sean Cornell played more snaps at defensive tackle than any guy on the team last year. He wound up getting drafted. Listen, he wasn't all Big Ten. He wasn't an All-American. He was a really solid, versatile guy for a really good team that needed him to be that. So to revisit, again, the 11 Warriors snap counts. Thanks so much, 11 Warriors. Defensive tackle snaps last year. Jay Sean Cornell, 399, gone. Davon Hamilton, 352, gone. Robert Landers, 253, gone. Tommy Togiai, 250, back. Number one guy at defensive tackle right now. Haskell Garrett, 218, dealing with, again, being shot in the face and coming back from that. 
Antoine Jackson, 201. So in the mix, not that far down. And then, like, nobody else really played. Jaron Cage is next with 88. And Jaden McKenzie had 11. So played less than a walk-on. So, you know, Antoine Jackson is a real guy, though. He was was an actual Mm -hmm. part of the defensive line. I mean, he was clearly sort of sixth among the six who played. But he was in the he was in the rotation. He took meaningful snaps. He only played nine snaps against Clemson. You'll, you know, he he had some games. He played more in the blowouts, and then a couple of the big games he played like between nine and fifteen snaps. So again, limited, but not not like a guy who's never done anything. But it feels like sometimes, and this happens again. We talk about it all the time. It's part of what happens at Ohio State. I just get a little more fired up about guys, and maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. When they were a big time recruit who it's finally coming together. You know, sometimes, sometimes you just have stuff that happens to you or you're a late developer. You have, you know, coaching changes or like Antoine Jackson leaves Auburn, goes to junior college, comes here. It doesn't happen right away. It, it feels like he feels like he could be that. And they probably, given Garrett and Vincent, they need him to be that. If he's not a productive tackle, then they really might be in trouble, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, yeah, and again, I, I think it's not just his production, but read that list again, and what would you say, Cornell at the top end of that was 399 snaps? So you're talking about yes. not even 30 snaps a game from the guy who leads that, that position in snaps. Now, that could go up, I suppose. They could put a bigger load early on on the guys that they trust more, but that still gives you some perspective on how much they churn guys through at those positions, uh, ideally, right? I mean, they, they want guys playing. It, it gets the most – we talk about them rotating all these other positions, and it almost sometimes seems like – what do I want to say? Like, it, it's academic almost, or like it's, it's, it's something that – a receiver, at cornerback, it's not, it doesn't seem as necessary as it does a defensive yeah. tackle. Defensive tackle seems like where you have to rotate guys, and that's where it starts to become an issue. If you start taking multiple guys out of a group that at, at large is mostly unproven, I, that's where it starts to get thin real quick. I mean, again, we're talking about there were six – they had six guys who played meaningful snaps all year at tackle, and we just talked about who are the top four tackles going to be for Penn State, and we had a little trouble figuring out who the fourth guy was. But actually, probably the question is who are the top six? Yeah. And if Garrett and or Vincent aren't ready early in the season, boy, it's kind of hard to figure out four, and it gets really hard to figure out five and six, and that gets back to your point, Nathan, about depth – if you have a couple good guys, but they're worn down, that's going to be as much of an, an issue as having to put guys on the field who maybe aren't ready. And Larry Johnson talked about six. He talked about three at the nose and three at the three. So they, they expect to have six again, but he's noncommittal on who that's going to be for week one. So let's talk about Tommy Togiai a little bit. I know maybe he's not the greatest talker in the world, but he does feel like he, he might be exactly what you're looking for at nose tackle, right? I mean, he is he's right. so strong. Um, again, 250 snaps last year was fourth among the defensive tackles. Steven, we'll start with you. Just what was the vibe you got from Tommy Togiai? Again, on the list of, hey, let's try to figure out who's going to break out. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot of these guys who um, were really highly rated recruits that you're kind of waiting for something big. Do you feel like that might be something that could happen with Tommy Togiai this year, the number 55 overall recruit? in the class of 2018, one of the guys on this list of 2018 defensive players yeah. waiting for their shot. Yeah, I mean, he fits what that class is perfectly. Another guy, it's junior year, it's time to put up or shut up, but I think he's in the best position to do so. I'll, even over Josh Proctor, even over you know Tyreek Smith, because 
That's his spot, 100%. We know that he's not rotating with other guys. We're not questioning whether or not someone is going to take the job from him. He is the starting nose guard. And as Nathan asked there, people are still calling you the strongest man on the team. And he was modest about it because that's how he is. But, yeah, I think he's in the position of all those 2018 guys who haven't done anything yet to really take that next step because he's not coming into this fall camp and wasn't coming into the spring trying to fight for a job that was already his. So it's his job, and then, and then how much he plays probably is dependent upon how good the other guys in that rotation are and how much he can handle, right? If, like, if you have questions about some of the guys in the rotation, it's like, oh, Tommy's okay, then he'll play a lot of snaps. But, Nathan, are, are you on board with the idea that this might be a big Tommy Togia year? Oh, certainly. I mean, and as much as I've had questions about the defensive line depth, I, I've never really questioned that Tommy Togiai is a Big Ten nose tackle. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, the reputation he had last year from the guys ahead of him, I think, spoke for itself. There was a guy that, if not for the the senior depth that they had ahead of him last year, I mean, Devon Hamilton being a mid-round NFL guy, I mean, there's there's a reason why that guy gets snaps and Tommy Togiai maybe didn't. So that didn't really – I, I had no question that Tommy Togiai was ready to step up this year as, as a junior and have a, a great year, a great final two years, whatever, to his Ohio State career. It's just more about the, the totality of what they have numbers-wise in the middle. The totality for Togiai. We're going to get into the, the totality. Defi- the to- oh, see, look at that. That was that's, awesome. That's some wordsmithing right there. I better see that in a headline in the next week. Uh, <laughs> so we hope you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. You know, that's where, you know, Stephen and Nathan, they get these interviews and then they try to parcel out how they're going to write about it. The texts go out immediately. Nathan always texts out, hey, these guys are these guys said this like 40 seconds ago. Here's what Larry Johnson just said about this. Here's what Zach Harrison just said about this. And you get those texts immediately. And then they reset. They divide up story ideas and they start putting those at Cleveland.com. So really good time to make sure you're checking Cleveland.com slash OSU at least at least once a day, maybe a couple times a day. Let's do this morning when you wake up, maybe a little midday break, see if anything new went up. And then we call, sometimes we put stories up in the evening. We call that the Baird window because Nathan kind of latched on to, hey, there's sort of this after dinner area where sometimes people are getting back online. Let's put some fresh content up there. So sometimes there's fresh Baird window content. So go to cleveland.com slash OSU to check all that stuff out. We will be back with the sexier defensive ends. Right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, talk about the guys who get sacks. Those are the defensive ends for Ohio State. This rotation is going to be, and, and this is part of what I want to get into with Steven, and we've ta- we talk about a lot here. The difference between rotating from strength and rotating from lack of strength is night and day. The result is you play a bunch of guys. One is we play a bunch of guys because we're not sure who's good, and one is we play a bunch of, gu- a bunch of guys because we have too many guys who are good. Steven, do you think there is a distinction there between what the tackle rotation might look like and what the end rotation might look like? Yeah, um, they're in a position where at least when you look at these recruiting rankings and you look at the talent, it resembles the 2017 situation of you've got a lot of guys who can contribute. Now, whether it's effective the way that 2017 was Mm. is a different conversation. But the idea of Larry Johnson thinking – he has a bunch of top 100 guys at a position and he can rotate them equally and doesn't have to have one guy who's taking 600 snaps in a season while everybody else is in the mid 200s is something he loves. He loves that idea of it because it keeps guys fresh. 
And I would like to point out, he also loves the idea of having Chase Young, who played yes. 577 snaps last year, which was twice as many as any other defensive end. And if Chase Young had stayed in college, Larry Johnson would have hugged him for three months. So this is one of the times when- He would I- not have hugged him for three months. That was, he brought no. that up today. He yeah. can't hug anybody because of COVID. Anybody. It's been the toughest part of COVID for him. He can't hug. Mask up and hug Chase. That's, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, he's Chase Young. I don't know what to tell you. He actually talked about that, how he can't hug people. Yeah. Somebody asked him, like, what the <laughs> toughest part of COVID has been. I thought it was an interesting question. And it, it, the answer is even more interesting. He said that he's a very hands-on coach and he isn't allowed to touch anybody. Swear to God. To be, act- fa- go ahead, to be fair, there is a photo of the moment Chase Young committed to Ohio State at Friday Night Lights. And, the, and an excited Larry Johnson did exactly that. He bear-hugged him. And I'm pretty sure he probably tackled – I wasn't there because I, I wasn't on his beach yet, but – Pretty sure he probably tackled him to the ground, which absolutely a story. One hundred percent not joking. What's it like to be hugged by Larry Johnson? And you ask his defensive lineman through the years what it's like to be hugged by him. And the end of the story is the reporter asking for a hug uh-huh. from Larry Johnson <laughs> and then describing the feeling of it. If you guys don't do that in the next month, I'm gonna do it. So the clock is ticking and I won't go anywhere. Because of COVID, I will hug Larry Johnson. Or to put it more accurately, I will allow myself to be hugged by Larry Johnson in the name of journalism to write this story. So I just want to point out this is again, people, you know, this is one of those things where a coach says something and the coach is wrong because he would take Chase Young every day of the week. Yes, you'd love a rotation when you don't have a Heisman candidate at defensive end. So let's just make sure we're throwing that out there. But let's talk about what this rotation we think will look like. Okay. More options, but how do you actually think? And there's maybe there's probably not as many, like there's no real injury issues at end, right, guys? I mean, that's not not that we're aware of at this point. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, that's so let's just start with the opener because we can assume what what they how they rotate in the opener will probably be how they rotate through the year. What is your guess for what the end rotation looks like in the opener against Nebraska, Nathan? I would assume that your starters are well, see, now that's that's tricky because, I, I mean, just as far as the rotation, I mean, uh, it'll be Harrison, Smith, Cooper. And, again, depending on what they're doing with the three technique, it'll either be in Friday or John Baptiste. But John Baptiste, I mean, all five of those guys will be involved in some way rotating there. I just don't know what it'll mean as far as the top of the depth chart. Because, you know, I mean, like, do they give Cooper the start? He's the senior, everything he's come back from, even though he's not necessarily one of their two best right now. But, and that's, that's not the issue. Thing. I mean, like, right. the start, but all five of those guys will be involved. They'll, they'll have or on the first string. I don't care. Month, I don't so. care. I'm going to burn the depth chart every year. We have our own depth chart, which is based in reality. I don't care about the ors. Who's going to actually play when you all look five at of the, those guys? When you look at the yeah. snaps last year, Chase played twice as much as anybody. Zach Harrison, 284. Tyreek Smith, 243. But Tyreek missed two games. Tyler Friday, 220. But Tyler Friday missed two games. Javante Jean-Baptiste, 201, but he missed one game. And then Cooper missed so much of the year, he played 121. So pretty similar when they're healthy between Harrison Smith, Friday, and Jean-Baptiste, and then probably Cooper in there, which is, that's exactly what you're saying. You think those five guys will wind up playing about the same amount, regardless of who happens to be out there for the first snap. I think the snap count will look fairly similar to what you read off for last year's defensive tackles. Okay, then it's like guys, all guys like in the three, mid 300s to the mid 200s. Kind if of. you take Chase Young's snaps and distribute them over four or five guys, 
That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So did you get a sense, and we have talked about this at various times over the course of the off season, we did position group breakdowns and that kind of thing. Based off what you thought before and what was said today, Stephen, who do you think the best defensive end on this team is going to be? Tyree Smith, I think, will be the best defensive end on this team. Um, just because, uh, one, the way Chase would talk about him last year, last year in the spring and in the fall, even though he was dealing with injuries. But also another guy, 2018, who kind of knows this is his moment. This is his junior year. It's his time to step up. He took the time to mention the fact that, yeah, this is my junior year. I have to take this step. And I think Zach Harrison is – on the right path, but he's not going to be a 10 sack guy the way Chase Young was, but also they're not going to need him to be that because Chase had to make up for the fact that they didn't have Nick Bosa. But I think Tyreek Smith takes a leap this year and Zach Harrison is some version of what Nick Bosa was his sophomore year where he's a five-star guy on the way to being a first round NFL draft pick. Who's really good, but he's not the best version of himself yet. He was the best defensive end Ohio State had in 2017. If they had actually decided they were just going to play guys based on how good they were, Nick Bosa wouldn't have come off the field. Yeah, you're right. But he also wasn't the best version of Nick Bosa yet. That would have been his third year had he, he played, played the full the, season. Only played two games. Had, had he played the full season. If Zach just Harris, develop, that's just how development works. If Zach Harrison is as good in his second year as Nick Bosa was in his second year, Ohio State's in great shape. Nick Bosa was – like the best defensive end in the big 10 as a sophomore. So that's a high bar. Yeah. I know he would have been even better as a junior, but Nick Bosa was basically himself as a sophomore. And just like what they didn't, they just rotated. They just didn't like let him play all the time the way Chase Young played all the time as a junior last year. So, um, okay. So your vote is for Tyreek because you think Tyreek is more there. Tyreek's a year older. Zach is still coming along. And it's just basically the year extra experience means Tyreek Smith will be a slightly better player this year. Yeah. Nathan, who's your guy? Who do you think is the best defensive end on the team this year? I think what Steven argues is makes a lot of sense. And, and I asked Tyler Friday today about Tyreek Smith and he kind of like jumped through the computer screen to yeah. speak in um, effusive ways about Tyreek Smith. Um, but I would actually probably vote for Zach Harrison only because I thought just which one actually like flashed more dynamic, interesting things last year. I thought it was Harrison. I thought it was just a matter of as a freshman, you're going to have um, more variance in your play from game to game. And I would expect a lot of that to have been developed, you know, refined more going into this year. I think this is a year where he can take a big step. And Larry Johnson said today, you know, sometimes they're, you never know how they're talking about a guy uh, because they, they try to motivate everybody differently. But, but Larry Johnson today, said the ceiling is really, really high on what Zach Harrison can do immediately, like right now in 2020. Not, not still looking into the future, but like this guy could be taking that step right now. So just to, to reset this, because now I, I want to get into this, this is how much they rotated. And again, our friends, 11 Warriors and their wonderful snap counts. This is how much they rotated the four defensive ends in 2017. These were the final year-end snap counts. Jalen Holmes, 542, Nick Bosa, 537, Sam Hubbard, 534, Tyquan Lewis, 534. They like practically literally played the exact same amount. Now, Jalen Holmes did have to move inside for a stretch. They had some injuries and he moved inside and played some extra tackle. So that's why he wound up with the most snaps of anybody. And as a reminder, their fifth defensive end in 2017 was five-star recruit Chase Young, who played 196 snaps not even half as much as the top four guys. So um, 
that's how that worked. And now this is what I want to do. As Stephen, you are thinking about comparing the 2017 defensive end rotation to this rotation. I want to figure out who is who, okay? Mm -hmm. Because that's what's going to tell me if this is apt comparison or not. Because that defensive end rotation included a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a fourth-round pick. It included two guys who were the defensive linemen of the year in the Big Ten. And that was Tyquan Lewis and, and Nick Bosa both were that at times in their career. And so the bar is very, very high. And I, I just, I, I noted these stats. And again, things change. 2017, when they had this defensive end rotation of four really good guys and Chase is the fifth guy, Ohio State had 45 sacks that year. That ranked third in the country. In 2019, when it was Chase Young and then everybody else, Ohio State had 54 sacks that was first in the country. So Ohio State in Chase Young's best year averaged 3.86 sacks. In 2017 with the rotation, they averaged 3.21 sacks. So the rotation, not quite as good as when you have Chase Young, but close. They're third in the country in sacks instead of first in sacks. Tackles for loss, Ohio State had 114 in 2017, tied for first in the country. Last year with Chase Young, 124 tackles for loss, first in the country. Averaged 8.86 tackles for loss last year as a team, averaged 8.14 tackles for loss in 2017. So if you don't have quite have a Chase Young, having four really good guys is, is quite a way to get 90% of that production. So they don't have a Chase Young. At least they don't have a junior year Chase Young, I don't think does. No matter how good you think Tyreek Smith will be in year three or how good you think Zach Harrison will be in year two, they won't be as good as Chase Young was last year. So the 2017 model obviously makes a lot of sense. But how apt is the comparison? Let's start here. Who's Nick Bosa? Who is the guy who's maybe still a little bit young but is like ready to bust out and maybe just because of the rotation won't quite get there but is pretty clearly a great young player? Zach. Yeah, Harrison. I agree. I think that is practically a perfect comparison, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you think. So now all Zach Harrison has to do is be that. <laughs> be Nick Bosa. <laughs> Get eight and a half sacks, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, to, and to, uh, to reset that year, Nick Bosa, eight and a half sacks. Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard each had seven. Jalen Holmes had two. And Chase Young had three and a half in limited snaps. Okay, so Zach Harrison is Nick Bosa. I think that's as close to Nick Bosa as anybody could get. So, like, I think that's an apt comparison. Who's Tyquan Lewis? Who, Tyquan Lewis went on to be a second-round pick. 2017 was his last year at Ohio State. Super reliable, kind of underrated, but yet was the Big Ten defensive end of the year. Who is a real, more of a veteran, been around, who is that kind of guy that is just like, you know what? Maybe people don't realize how good he is, but that guy produces and gets it done. I think it's Tyree. Yeah. And I think we've had this discussion before how Tyree Smith could be like the Tyquan Lewis in the situation where Tyquan played with both Bosa brothers. Well, Tyreek has now played with Chase Young, and now he's playing with the guy who might be the next top 10 defensive end draft pick for Ohio State and Zach Harrison. He's like the Bridgeway. I think it's a perfect comparison. I think it's Ty, Tyreek has not quite has not done quite as much as yeah. as 
Taekwon had done going into 2017 compared to, you know, where Tyreek is going into this year. But I, I think in a lot of other ways, it's very apt. And also, both their names start with T-Y. Just saying. Good okay. Job. So who is Sam Hubbard? Sam Hubbard, more of a breakout in 2017, had been a guy, had, you know, famously redshirted as a freshman, did play, but was kind of coming along. And then, like, by, by the time he really was doing his thing in 2017, like, Sam Hubbard was just, like, a freaking dude. And we did the Penn State 2017 rewatch, and Sam Hubbard's tacking, tackling Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley at the same time and just looking like, you know, Nick Bosa Jr. out there. I think, we're, I think it gets a little harder here. Who's that guy who was like, yeah, you know, he's good, but is ready to be like almost like all Big Ten caliber this year? So I'm going to make a case for Javante Jean Baptiste here. Um, just because if I'm not mistaken, they, Sam Hubbard moved around a little bit as far as the defensive side of the, like where, what position he was. He was like a tight end for a week and then he was a safety for a week. And yeah, he wound okay. up a defensive so end. They, yep. Okay. So Javante Jean Baptiste came in here as an outside linebacker, but it was pretty clear based on his frame, he was going to be a defensive end. So just that alone, but also hasn't really done anything because his body had to develop and his body has clearly developed at this point. And so he might be in a position where he's able to have a breakout year within a room where he's going to be rotating with other guys. Yeah, there's an argument to be made there, but I actually think I would probably reserve him for a different comparison on this line. I would maybe put Tyler Friday in this one as a guy who's maybe just more on the verge of, of being at that level already. And someone who is out there has already been out there producing, but was just sort of overshadowed as like just another guy by some of the guys, I guess, namely Chase Young that was up there. And now he just kind of gets to, he gets more of an opportunity to bump up and actually make plays. So because of how you guys described how Friday might be used this year, mm-hmm. I actually think um, Hubbard, the Hubbard Jean Baptiste thing might make more sense because I think, Friday might be a really good comparison for the next guy. Yeah, that was my, that was going to be my point there. So I will also say, uh, Javante John Baptiste, the number 219 overall recruit when he came into Ohio state, Sam Hubbard, the number 196 overall recruit when he came into Ohio state. So let's move to the fourth guy. Now Jalen Holmes, fourth round pick in the NFL draft, sturdy, really good. Love talking to him. Kind of, you know, fourth of four in that group, right? Sort of in like fame and production. And even we just said the sacks, you know, he had far fewer sacks than the other guys. Really good player. And when they had defensive tackle issues that year, he was like, I'll move inside. Like he like raised his hand immediately and was in watching film extra. I think he, I think I remember him like, he was like starting to watch defensive tackle film even before they told him because he was like, I think I might need to do this. Like, just absolutely dedicated to it. Great team guy. Maybe never, like, maybe didn't quite reach his ceiling as an individual player, but, like, as a rotational guy in this group, the versatility, wound up playing the most snaps. Steven, who's that guy? It's Tyler Friday because of he might be in a similar situation where he might have to raise his hand and go, I'll play defensive tackle. And he might end up being the defensive tackle in the rushman package. Um. So that's off that. But also, 
oldest guy in the room who's going to play, I think Jalen Holmes is some combination of Tyler Friday and Jonathan Cooper, just because whether he's – Jonathan Cooper's, I think, the fifth best talent of, all, of those five. That's our ceiling. But he's a fifth-year senior who came back – who came back and is a captain, and he played 54 snaps in the Michigan game, and he was second in snaps in 2018. Larry Johnson's going to find a way to get him on the field. So I think because of that, those two elements are split up into two different people and Tyler Friday and Jonathan Cooper. Tyler Friday, number 97 overall, 93? I can't read my number. In the 90s, as an overall national recruit when he came to Ohio State, Jalen Holmes, 71. Nathan, what do you think of, of finding that Jalen Holmes here? Well, yeah, I mean, other than the positional versatility, every, every other part of your description I, I thought applied to Jonathan Cooper, just like kind of the elder yep. statesman, the guy who has that personality, that leadership. And I think, I think he will play this year. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with what Steven's saying as far as maybe where he falls talent-wise. But I just think when you have someone who means that much to a team emotionally and spiritually, I guess, for lack of a better word, people can't, see, people can't hear it as they're listening, but I'm like closing my eyes and shaking my head at that because <laughs> I, 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 I don't really want to put that much on it. But I mean, like when you have that much of a, a presence – an intangible presence, I think you need to play. I think you, you it maximize it, it, it accentuates how much of an impact that stuff has when that leader actually then goes out and plays. So not that he'll be first line when they, when they need a stop, it's, it's maybe not going to be him when they need a pass rush and late in the game, it's not necessarily going to be him, but I do think he has to have an on-field presence with this team. So I was wondering if, uh, if it might be like that, Jonathan Cooper is kind of like the Chase Young, and like, but one was a five-star recruit and a freshman. The other is a fifth-year senior. You know that it's like, but, but that's more about snap counts. And I guess my question is this, and it does feel like Friday moving to tackle actually kind of solves two things. Number one, which is like, hey, we need some help at tackle. But the other thing is, it's just easier to rotate four guys at end than it is to rotate mm-hmm. five guys at end. So if you are, if Tyler Friday is getting half his snaps at tackle, um, yeah that gets Jonathan Cooper and Javante Jean-Baptiste on the field more, I would imagine. So, so in the end, I mean, it may be one of those things, again, like th- there was a time at Ohio State when Jayshon Cornell was an end. But then by, you know, by last year, he was a tackle. I mean, there was no doubt about it. And there, we've talked about, again, you know, I've mentioned this all the time, we did a series many years ago about creating defensive tackles and Larry Johnson's plan for creating defensive tackles is to recruit a defensive end and turn him into a tackle. It's a heck of a way to find a great athletic tackle. It worked with Adolphus Washington. It worked with Draymond Jones. It worked with Jayshon Cornell. They do this. This is how, I mean, like sometimes you get a guy like Tommy Togiai or Robert Landers, and it's like, there is no doubt where that guy's playing. That guy's on the inside. But sometimes you get a long, lean, athletic tackle. You put a little bit more weight on him, and all of a sudden he's doing some things inside. So that might be exactly what Tyler Friday could do for this team. But when you think about the snap counts, and again, to recap, Holmes, Bosa, Hubbard, Lewis basically played the same amount of snaps in 2017, and then Chase Young played 40% as many. Do you think they can – can they wind up with these top five guys all kind of playing the same amount? Would it require Friday playing inside a decent amount to be able to do that? Steven, how, what's, the, what's the ultimate rotation – of these five guys. Cause I think everybody would agree to Nathan's point that y- y- Cooper's got to play at least some. So what's the best way to figure this out? I think Tyler Friday's ability to move on the inside helps is ease some of that. So it's if for the sake of Cooper Friday or what Jalen Holmes was, 
Jalen Holmes' outside snaps, that's Jonathan Cooper. Jalen Holmes' defensive tackle snaps, that's Tyler Friday. So that way, maybe they're on the field together when Tyler Friday moves inside. So then they're not necessarily in each other's way. But that way, Tyler Friday is still up there with the snap count with the rest of the guys. And maybe, you know, Jonathan Cooper isn't necessarily that far away as like Chase Young was as that fifth guy, but he's the guy with the least amount of snaps, but he's just taking the snaps when Tyler snap Tyler Friday goes inside to play play outside. And listen, it's not like there, it's not like Larry Johnson has a clicker on the sideline counting. Snaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, it's not, we don't, we don't want to go too far with this, but you want to make sure that like the guys who deserve to play can play. Nathan, what's the answer? Well, I was going to say, we should remind that we're, we're talking about Tyler Friday moving inside maybe more so early on when they have this more urgent need with Vincent and Garrett both being out. It may be that he reverts to more of a traditional end role as the season goes on, as those guys get healthier and are more available. So that's the other thing to remember here as we're talking about the distribution of snaps, even among the defensive ends. It's why I thought that maybe the Javante Jean-Baptiste Chase Young comparison made some sense because he might end up being the fifth guy in terms of snaps. And there's a comparison to be made there, I think, just in terms of not because Javante Jean-Baptiste is ever going to, produced at Chase Young's level, but just kind of that, that physical freak kind of specimen thing. And, and Javante John Baptiste is not even the same kind of that that Chase Young was, but just having just a kind of a different body shape and one that they're like, they finally seem to have gotten to a point where they think that maybe all that length and that range that he has and that reach can now be combined with something more solid where he can, he can play a more legitimate end at this level. Um, that's just kind of where I saw some, some parallels as well. This would be so much easier if Jonathan Cooper had graduated and Jack Sawyer was a true freshman right now. Because we know he'd who'd be the chase. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> if, if, if they had played in January and Jack Sawyer had gotten here and Jonathan yeah. Cooper had been like, I'm out of here or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, let's re- make sure pe- pe- we understand this. Again, our scholarship chart. Jonathan Cooper is a redshirt senior, fifth-year senior. Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday, two true juniors. Zach Harrison, a true sophomore. Javante Jean-Baptiste is a redshirt sophomore. And then these are the other guys. You guys said Ty, Ty Hamilton officially on the, on the scholarship chart. Should we move Ty Hamilton to tackle? I was going to update the scholarship chart this afternoon. Yeah. And, and based on what he said today, I would move him to tackle. Okay. So then that leaves at end redshirt freshman Noah Potter and true freshman Jacoby Cowan and Darian Henry Young. Potter, Henry Young, and Cohen. What was said about them? Is there anything they're just back young backups at this point? I think someone was, he was asked about them eventually and gave an answer, but he didn't volunteer a lot of information about those guys. I think Tyler Friday had some good things to say about Darion Henry Young. Um, Just he'd come along, but nothing substantial where you should think that they will have a role this year. They got five veteran dudes who seem ready to play major roles. So that, Makes sense. You know, even, they could even take a couple injuries there and they'd still then all of a sudden you're rotating four guys or now you're rotating three guys. I, I don't think they're going to need, you know, Colby Cohen or, or Darian. Darian Henry Young is, is like a really big, he's a pretty big time prospect from Ohio, but yeah. like they just don't, they don't need him yet probably. Now, Jonathan Cooper's a fifth year senior. If Tyreek Smith has a great year and leaves, then all of a sudden, okay, it's like, here we go. But also here comes Jack Sawyer. So um, in the end, and you know what? I think we should do this. We haven't talked about running backs yet. Let's do 10 minutes on the end of this podcast about running backs because I think we're done with the defensive line. And I just want to touch on that after the break. But let's wrap this up. Nathan, your overall evaluation about this defensive line. Awesome, great, good, fine, okay. Like, how do you feel about them after this? 
the more we talk about it and the more we talk to Ohio State people about it, I am probably becoming more optimistic about just how good the defensive ends could be and more pessimistic about the pitfalls that could be there early on with this defensive line depth, with the defensive tackle depth. Steven? Yeah, same. Optimistic outside and intrigued to see how it all ends up working while inside. A little worried. You don't have to do what I say, but I'm old and I've done this a while. I would write your defensive end story trying to say who's who. Not just they might be like 2017. I would say why Zach Harrison is the Nick Bosa and why Tyreek Smith is the Tyquan Lewis. And uh, of note, just as a quick note, Tyler Friday also starts with T.Y. So that could make it confusing because you have a Tyquan, a Tyreek, and a Tyler. So I don't know. That's left to you to figure that out. But I think it's a good way to look at it. And you can cite some of the stats. And, and again, I think your answer about like, well, kind of, you know, you know, Jalen Holmes is half this guy and half this other guy. That was a really pr- unique, that was a one-year thing that they did it like that. Because after 2017, all those guys were gone, except for Nick Bosa. And then it was Nick Bosa and Chase Young. And then Nick Bosa got hurt in the middle of game two or three or whatever that was. So um, very rare, but actually after talking this out, I actually think it is, it's closer to 2017 than I thought going in that again, are you doing it from strength or are you doing it from not from uncertainty? And I think there's still some uncertainty in there, but actually it does feel like maybe they are doing this rotation from strength at defense. the you uncertainty it was like a poor man's 2017, and it turns out that it's just like a middle class 2017. Yeah, the the uncertainty is just is it going to be as effective as those guys were, and that's asking a lot. So, and you knew, but you knew, like you knew going into 17, how good Taekwon Lewis was. You knew how good mm-hmm. he was, and you knew you didn't have any doubt that Nick Bosa was coming. Mm-hmm. No doubt that Nick Bosa was coming. And then, like you know, Hubbard and and Jalen, I think played really well. Probably maybe better than people thought. So I think it'll be a very good. It's a very valuable apt comparison but nathan i think you are right it is not a poor man it's more like a middle class all right we'll come back real quick talk about what these guys learned from talking to trey sermon and master teague we'll be right back on buckeye talk all right a little quick in and out with the running backs here i think we did we did talk about what we thought the running back rotation was going to look like a little quick in and out buckeye talk is that it's great <laughs> Started talk. We began the show talking about like why I'm af- not afraid to take off my pants, and that's this is here we, where we are now. This is where we are. We're so desperate for listeners. We're just we're R-rated. You guys talked to Trey Sermon and Tony Alford and Master Teague this week. We had a somewhat lengthy running back discussion a couple podcasts ago, but Nathan, and I'm specifically interested in the way Tony Alford talked about it right now with the information you gleaned from those conversations, how do you think this running back rotation will look when the year starts? I would have to, based on what we've heard from them and multiple other people, it sounds pretty close to 50, 50 right now. It sounds like they like both of those guys as all around backs guys who they can have on the field for all three downs. Um, You know, things that they probably one does better than the other, but that it's, it's guys that they trust in, completely not not the, not necessarily saying that they're at that you know kind of jk dobbins level of production necessarily but guys that they feel could do the job at running back in in the ways that they need it to be done just sort of that basic level so right now i i assume we're going into the season with kind of a 50 50 split between those two guys all right so steven i want to ask i want to ask each of you guys specifically about one of those guys steven i want to ask you about master teague you talked to master teague for a while how he feels about going into the season well, the way Tony Alford talked about Master Teague, what is your Master Teague vibe right now? 
I think he's ready to go. Obviously, I don't know if he's 100% yet, but I think he'll be quality, especially in between the tackles. While Trey Sermon is still kind of learning how to run right, he runs up right. But I think this the extra time of not practicing but still being in Columbus and having all these resources to his advantage clearly sped up his rehab in a way that it probably wouldn't have been able to do had he gone back home. And I think because of that, they're in a position where Master Teague is ready to go, where I think when it first happened, I think a lot of people in that room were a little worried about whether or not they were going to have Master Teague this season. I believe I read somewhere on the internet that someone characterized Master Teague's situation as he got hurt in spring football and the silver lining was that a worldwide pandemic then shut down football so that everybody was kind of in the same spot he was. He didn't really miss anything. Do you think it's fair to say that a worldwide pandemic is a silver lining for a football player? Or do you think perhaps that framing is perhaps a little uh, frickin' nuts to call a worldwide pandemic a silver lining for a football player's rehabilitation? It's a very optimistic way of looking at a worldwide pandemic. but I don't know if I would define it as that. I just think he just had some extra time to get ready for a football season, but I'm not going to go that optimistic with things. You don't think you would perhaps frame it that way on in a story on our website, because I would go in and delete it so fast that your head would. spin. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going that far. Nathan, you wrote about Trey Sermon. You made a very interesting point when you and I, when we were talking about this, I think off the podcast the other day about, Something about, was it about a barber? I can't remember. The, it was about like a thing that you said about someone who has perfect form or not perfect form, but they're similar. There's like a, a barber anything to do. Nothing about, I said, he never said the word said, barber. Well, hold on a second. Did you, you had, guys, did, did people read Encyclopedia Brown books when they were a kid? Anybody read Encyclopedia I'm Brown? familiar with his work. No. So Encyclopedia Brown, it's, it's you know, like I was growing up in the 80s, it was a boy detective. And I read all the Encyclopedia Brown boy detective books. And there are usually four or five different little detective things in there. First of all, in my head, I pronounced the word encyclopedia as Eucelipede. So I always thought his name was Eucelipede Brown. So I couldn't read when I was young. But I very specifically remember a thing about like you go into a town and there's only two barbers in the town. One has a good haircut and one has a terrible haircut. Which barber should you go to? And you should go to the barber with, wait, you should go to the barber with the terrible haircut because his haircut was done by the only other barber in town. So the guy with the good haircut, his hair was cut by the barber with the terrible haircut. So that's why I said, did you, did you talk about barbers? Because it was a, I was oh. talking about, is it a terrible haircut thing? But explain your point about Trey Sermon. You're, you're close, but so far away. What I said was that if you have two sprinters and one of them has great form and one of them has terrible form and they run the same time, which one would you take? And you would take the one with the terrible form because if you correct that form, then he would run even faster. That is basically the exactly same thing as the said. barber point, but, but – if you sell a Pete Brown was a track coach, he would have talked about that. So what does that, what did that tell you as you wrote about Trey Sermon then? Well, I, part of the reason why we talked so much at the time when Trey Sermon came here, it was like, my God, how fortunate is it for Ohio state that they had this guy just drop in out of nowhere. And at the time where they were just at this, this 
terrible place in their running back room and looking for answers and what are they going to do? We don't think Master Teague, who knows if he'll even be able to play at all this fall. And then Marcus Crowley's hurt and, and, and all these other things. And then you get this, you know, 2,000-yard rusher from the not, – not in one season, but over his career, you know, a guy who's run for a lot of yards in the Big 12, a real, you know, real program. And the other side of it is, though, that this is a big opportunity for Trey Sermon. And that's where I think more of my attention is kind of starting to, to drift is like, how can Ohio State make Trey Sermon even better than he's been in his first three years? Because obviously in his first three years, he showed some talent. He flashed a lot of talent. He even had a decent amount of production, but he wasn't able to sustain it. He wasn't consistent with it. Some injuries had some factor there, but he kind of completely fell off of being a big part of that offense. And it wasn't just injuries from, from what we've read and seen. Like there were other times where he was healthy and still wasn't really getting as much um, traction in the offense anymore. So I think that's still, there's something to be proven on both sides of that. I think Trey Sermon um, did help Ohio state by coming here. And even though that master Teague is healthier now than we thought he was going to be, and, and it might be a, a, a bigger split there that there's still something that Ohio state could maybe bring out of him that it hasn't been, shown on a consistent basis before but he runs too upright and tony alford's trying to fix that right that's one of the things they want to fix with him yeah i think that master teague and trey sermon are a good test run for what they want to do with travion henderson and evan Pryor, because it's a very similar thing where master teague's probably a better between the tackles runner right now travion henderson is clearly a better between the tackles runner right now and his offense at hopewell hopewell you know catered to that while Evan Pryor is probably a better third down back a passing, a passing situation, his offense caters to that. Uh, Trey, Trey Sermon is coming from a place, Oklahoma, where he's played with Heisman-level le- quarterbacks the last three years. And, I mean, he's, prob- he's probably a be- better third down running back right now. And Tony Alford kind of alluded to some of the stuff where you, you kind of want running backs who complement each other. No, they're not exactly perfect, but you want to develop them into complete backs, but usually – they complement each other in a way. And I think Trey Sermon and Master T probably do that this season. And it's a good test run to see if it's going to work with Matt, with Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, who also do the same thing right now. So Marcus Crowley's still dealing with his injury. Nathan, who else might factor into the running back room this season? I mean, I think Steel Chambers could get some carries early on, uh, depending on what, just how they split up the usage. Um, Larry Johnson said that he's comfortable putting him on the field, but that, that's about as deep as I think it would go right now. Now, Stephen did make a good point. He did also say that Teague is maybe not quite ready to be playing a full workload, but again, he won't have to necessarily because they have Sermon. You don't have to put somebody out there for 60 or 70 snaps. You can split that up between two guys, which is what it looks like they're probably going to do. So, um, and I, also I still probably, think- probably won't have to play master Teague that much early because they'll beat Nebraska by 60. Or, or like 28. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's finish up with this. Steven, again, I, all these, I mean, you know, it's one of these things. We, we, here's the secret, Psst, everybody. We analyze this team all offseason five times a week with no information. Yeah. We, we have And then there's this big rush now at the last two <laughs> yeah. weeks to like, oh, wait, now we actually know something. <laughs> Change everything. So – you're, we got you guys. You talk to the coach. You talk to the players. Steven, how do you feel about the running back situation after talking to Tony Alford and the running backs? Uh, pretty optimistic because, like I said, they complement each other pretty well. Um, I think, it, to Nathan's point, I think if anybody were to take the reins and end up just being the sole running back, it might be Trey Sermon, just because the ceiling might be a little bit higher. But I do. I, I am very optimistic that this time the two back system is going to work. 
because it's not the same running back, you know, just in two different bodies. It's two guys with two separate skill sets who can help this team. Nathan, how do you feel? I don't know that my opinion has changed a whole lot. This just isn't going to be an offense that showcases the running back the way they did last year. I think it's going to be more of a Justin Fields offense first and foremost. Um, Whereas last year I thought that JK Dobbins was the foundation and then they built off of that. But the, the weapons they have a receiver and the weapon that Justin Fields is, is what needs to be showcased in this offense. So they're going to be more sort of uh, a complimentary position. Not that this won't be a team that still wants to run the ball a lot, but it's just that you don't have to showcase any one guy. And I think that they can get production out of these two guys, as I've sort of said all along, I think you can get the, the production that they need to win the way they want to win with their offensive line and with the talent that these two guys have. They don't have to go out and be superstars. All right, so that's what we learned from the defensive line, and that's what we learned from the running backs. They will continue to uh, have interviews with different position group players and different position group coaches as we get closer to the season. Friday, we will do Buckeye Retalkables, 1968 Ohio State, Michigan. There's a cut of it on YouTube. You guys can go watch that and then get ready to listen along on the Friday retalkables. But we enjoy doing these uh, position group breakdowns. I think uh, I learned a lot. Again, I've been, I've been missing some of these interviews. Uh, I learned a lot from hearing Nathan and Steven talk about this. So drop us reviews, try the texts, make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you don't miss anything. Read cleveland.com slash OSU and we will see you on Friday for the retalkables. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.